Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. My name is Gerson. On today's show, we talked with a fantastic uh, team member, but also a really powerful investor, Ali Rollison. And we talked about her journey in investing and how she got started investing during the GFC when the world was melting down and everyone was telling her it was a bad idea, but how she leveraged that into becoming a millionaire by the time she was 31, which is an amazing story. Um, I really hope that you get some lessons out of this, lessons about persistence, lessons about perspective, lessons about looking at the facts and not uh, not listening to the consensus thinking, because all of these things are what made Ali a success. And in fact, now she gets to spend her time. Now she's achieved her goals by the time she was 31. She's obviously got new goals, but now she gets to spend her time helping other people to do what she did and helping them succeed in life and property as well. So I found this to be quite inspiring and I'm sure you're going to find it inspiring too. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and we'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a very special guest, and I've been really looking forward to this conversation. It is with one of our Dashdot team members, but um, this guest has actually got a really amazing investing story, and I'm super excited to get into it. Welcome to the show, Ali Rollison. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic, and um, I'm really looking forward to our chat today. I'd love to dig into your uh, investing story because it's, I think it's actually really, really cool and. And one of the first times we met, I actually got to know that story. And I was like, wow, that's like so inspiring. Such a cool journey. But before we do that, because I know you and nobody else knows you, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, obviously, what do you do at Dashdot? Tell, give us a little bit of background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. All right. Well, I'm Ali. Um, my role here at Dashdot is I'm one of the senior advisors. So I get to have super powerful, life-changing conversations with people that want to invest, which is so much fun. Um, yeah, I, it's it's one of the best things. I could talk property all day and I do talk property all day. So yeah. Did I awesome. answer your questions? What did I miss? Well, I don't know. Well, where'd you grow up? I uh, grew up in Sydney, um, but currently live on the Sunshine Coast. So I moved up here with my husband about five years ago, um, loving it up here. The plan was originally to go back to Sydney and kind of use the wealth that we created up here and be able to get something bigger and better down in Sydney. Um, but now I don't want to go back. I love it up here. So. Mm. Yeah, I can't I'm blame a Queenslander you. Now. You're a Queenslander. <laughs> nice. So, okay, cool. So you work at Dashdot. You help people who work out if they want to, if they should invest and whether to work with us and all of that kind of stuff. And that's pretty cool. And you have life changing conversations. But um, you mentioned you could talk about property and stuff all day, or you certainly mentioned that to me before we get started. When did you first start getting interested in, in property and investing? Uh, great question. I would say probably around 14 or 15. Interesting. That's quite a young really age. Young. Like, 14 and 15, I think I was just thinking about skateboarding and stuff like that. What were you, What made you start thinking about property? I actually remember my brother's a couple of years older than me, and I remember him talking about buying a house when he was like I don't know, 18 or 19, so I would have been like whatever, 16, 17. And I was thinking, dude, what do you want to do that for? That's just weird. So what made you, what did, what made you start thinking about, um, were you thinking about investing or was it just an interest that started? What, how did that start? Yeah. So look, I have learned most of what I know on property from my mum, who's been investing in the Australian property market for 50 years, seen wow. multiple cycles, multiple different economic scenarios. Um, 
so I, I think I kind of I grew up in around that and and um you, you know long car trips for us you know when we were kids um you know sometimes we were going to buy property like we would I remember once we were driving from Sydney down to Queanbeyan to go buy some properties and I'm like what are we doing like this is boring <laughs> what you know anyway so then sort of start asking questions and then you start getting a little bit of information you start learning about cycles you start learning about you know ways to make money and I was I guess I was um I had this sort of innate desire from a pretty young age that I wanted financial freedom and so learning kind of that um yeah, I just the more I asked questions, the more I wanted to know. So you said you had a pretty innate desire from a young age that you wanted financial freedom. Again, that is not a common thought for a young person. So yeah. I mean, when I was five, I wanted to be the prime minister, but I was I was <laughs> never thinking about financial freedom. So what did what talk to me about number one, back then when you were younger, what was your perspective on what financial freedom was? Was it like Scrooge McDuck jumping around in piles of coins or what was it and why was that yeah. an interest to you? So it's interesting. Like I've given quite a bit of thought to this over the years because it is weird, right? Um, I think I had financial security growing up. I lived in the same house. I went to the same school. It was all pretty stable. Um, we were able to go on nice holidays and things like that because probably the reinvesting that my parents did. Um, but I think it actually stemmed back to the life that my mother lived and my grandmother. So uh, for me, it was all about financial security. It was actually about having a home and a house that no one could take away from me. It was like this drilled in thing that I wanted so badly. And um, yeah, I mean, look, my my mother grew up and she's in her 70s now. And in the 60s, she sort of, well, not would have been the 50s. Her dad went bankrupt and he left. Um, my grandmother raised five kids on her own pre-welfare, pre-any support, had never had a job. Um, they lost their house. They lost their car. Um, yeah, everything. And I think I had this huge fear of that ever, ever happening to me. So, yeah, it was all about financial security and just being safe rather than being loaded and screwed yeah. you. I was going to ask about that. As soon as you said that, I was like, that sounds like it might have been coming from a place of fear. So, 100%. So, do you think that... Like, so has fear been the main motivator for you to get to where you are today? Or has um, there been a transition point? Or talk, talk to me about that because, like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I think initially, yeah, initially it was definitely fear um, that motivated me because, like, I, I'd started young, like when I started investing and I went pretty hard, pretty fast, and pretty aggressive. And that was all driven by fear. And then you kind of get to a place where you do achieve your goal. And I've actually, I've spoken to you about this before. I actually found that really overwhelming. Um, and I kind of didn't really know what to do and had a bit of a freak out, to be honest. And then, um, and then I just enjoyed life and life became a lot different and it, and it wasn't so much about fear. It was just about gratitude and, um, yeah, enjoyment, peace, mm. I suppose. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. I'm going to come back to that. Because I think there's an interesting thing to unpack there about what actually happens when you do achieve yes. your goals that most people don't ever talk about. Absolutely, which is really really interesting. Okay, but let's go let's go let's go back. So yes. you started getting interested in, in investing when you were like you say fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. When did you rich actually? Dad, poor dad. Oh, rich dad poor dad. Oh, nice. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask like what got you in it, but rich dad poor dad. <laughs> cool, right? So kind of like the the gateway drug for property investors globally. Totally. My brother read it and then there was a bit of sibling rivalry. My mom's like, I don't think you're ready for it. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> Have you always been competitive? I don't think I'm competitive. 
<laughs> maybe. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All good. So, okay. So you started getting investing, uh, interested in investing at 14, 15 yeah. years old. Um, when did you actually get started investing? Um, I think it was 19. Yeah. I just turned 19. And so can I ask, like, how did you get the deposit? Had you been working like in your 14, 15 or all that kind of stuff? And did you save up? Did you get some help from your parents? Like, how did that come about? Because again, most 19-year-olds, like, it's not a it's not a factor. Now, and a lot of people are thinking about this. Maybe a 19-year-old is listening to this and going, bloody, you know, properties these days are too expensive and all of that kind of stuff. So I'd be interested to kind of know, like, um, what that looked like. What was that first investment? How much was it? Because obviously prices have changed, but you can still invest uh, affordably. But then also, how did you get the cash to even get started? Cool. All right. Um, two kind of parts to the answer. Both really is the answer. So I started babysitting when I was about 10, saving my babysitting money. I saved my Christmas money. My mom walked into my room one day and said, what are you saving for? And I was like, mom, one day I'm going to need to buy a house and they're really expensive. So I better start saving now. She, I think she laughed and just left the room and was like, oh gosh, what have I done? <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely huge savings drive. Um, I saved most of what I earned. Um I remember sort of when I did get into property, it was when I bought my second property, my then boyfriend, now husband said to me, how, how, how do you make as much as you do? And you've got two properties and I've got a car loan and I'm on double what you're on. So I always like, especially through my twenties, like continue to save just to keep going on the property ladder. Um, but at the same time, I did have some help as well. So um, saved money from my grandparents and things like that. Um, but part of what my parents created was um, some generational wealth. So there's, there's a bit of a story to this, but um, you can cut me off if I'm carrying on, but she Basically, my um, my dad's from England, so my half my family is over there. And in the early early sort of days of my parents having us, my grandfather gave my parents a couple of thousand pounds and said, "Look, this is really for the kids. You know, they're not here. They're not going to get ice cream on Sundays. They're not going to be taken out for t- getting toys and things like that. So spend it on the kids. But if you need to spend it now, spend it now." Interest rates are really high at the time. Mum had lots of different properties and she was just about to restructure her portfolio. And she needed the money, so she used it at the time. But a few years later, she pulled the funds and bought, used it as a deposit, bought a property probably when we were about five. Um, and that property grew in value over the 15 years to contribute towards the deposit that my brother and I had when we were old enough for the bank to give us money. <laughs> so, yeah, That's a bit awesome. of both. Two factors. That's awesome. What a cool, what a cool strategy. What a cool strategy from your mom. So did she buy that property with the goal of like, okay, this is going to be your nest egg. Like I'm going to buy a property and that's for, that's for you and your brother. Yeah. And that's, was that it? Was that like the whole strategy of that property or was it, how, tell me about that. Cause I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, totally. Right. Um, I think it actually was one of the properties in, in Queenbean that she bought. It was, um, so I think she was given 2000 pounds by mm. pop. Um, it turned out to be, I think $6,000 that she used. Maybe the property was about, maybe the property was 20,000 and she used 6,000. Um, but the whole strategy, yeah, was this is going to grow. And I think she even restructured after about 10 years and then put it somewhere else. But yeah, yeah. it was, it was all generation wealth. And I could actually probably take funds back and go the generation before too. But anyway, we won't go that yeah, far. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Remember. Like, you know, a lot of people think about investing and, you know, a lot of people got kids and stuff like that. And I think it's such a cool idea. And I've thought about it too. Like, you know, we've got no plans to have kids and stuff like that, but I have thought about it as like, what a cool, you know, wealth building opportunity to go and buy a property that is specifically the purpose of it is to buy it and leave it and let it do its yeah. thing. 
you know, as as the kind of generational wealth play to be able to give to your to your kids or something to be able to set them up. I think that's an awesome move. Okay, hundred percent. It comes into my strategy over the next five years as we sort of progress into that um, that level. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Cool. So that's a pretty cool story on how you kind of got started. Talk to me about you. How you you bought a couple of properties and. When did the when did talk, talk to me about how your portfolio evolved? We don't need to go into like every property and all of that kind of stuff, but talk to me a little bit about what that journey was like and what goals did you have and how did you did you meet those goals? Talk to me about that. Tell me a bit of the story of your portfolio. So terrifying initially is probably the first answer, but super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started first property was so I'm from Sydney originally, and we um, I was investing in Sydney at the time. It was. 2009. So, um, yeah, just after the GFC, I'd been learning about property for what, what are we, at least five years now. I thought I'd gathered a lot of information, had my mum there as my guidance and my handholding, done the research on the market, found the property, got pretty scared. One of my friends said to me, there's this big GFC, like there's this big housing crisis, the world's ending, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is my life savings, life savings. And, um, Anyway, my mum sat me down. She's like, it's all good, Ali. You know, we've done the research. This is this. And, you know, sort of talked me through it. And without her holding my hand and, and giving me that guidance, I would not have had the courage to sort of pull the trigger and make the offer on that first property. So that was in Meadowbank in Sydney. Um, bought it for 302000 at the time. Yeah, my friends were like, oh, wow, you bought this property. How wonderful. I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I can't afford to actually live in it. <laughs> like. I own part of it. Bank owns most of it. Um, but yeah, so then um, then bought another property. So about a few years later, saved again, used a bit of equity. Um, bit of a market selection mistake on that one. Um, made a little bit of money, not a lot, but a lot of lessons. And that's really part of the joy, I think, of the journey as well. And then I got one from my then boyfriend, now husband, made him some money. He thought I was really cool and let's keep doing this because he was pretty terrified getting into it. And it sort of just evolved and grew from there. The goal was to get into our own home, which we then did and then um, got a little bit harnessed and couldn't continue to invest. And so restructured, moved up to the coast, bought some more properties, continued to invest, restructured the portfolio, paid down the mortgage. Happy days. Yeah. Awesome. That's kind so, of a really quick overview. What have I Yeah, missed? nice. Okay, so there's a few things I want to kind of pick apart there. So for you, yeah. as far as I understand it, for what you've said, the goal was basically to be able to build a portfolio that would allow you to buy your own home and to own that home outright <laughs> so that you would have the safety and security to, to be able to do what you want and, you know, like have that kind of base that no one could take away. Is that a, kind of a fair statement? Yeah, that's a fair statement. So to add a little bit to it, I... um. When I was growing up, so my parents worked full time and they were, you know, pretty, pretty busy and not necessarily around a whole lot. Um, and I sort of said, you know, by the time I have kids, I really want in a position where I don't have to work um, the kind of hours and commitment that they did. I want to be around for my family. So to me, that then meant I need to be in my own home and, and need to have that mortgage free. So I looked around me at the time and I was like, okay, houses in Sydney at the time were like a million dollars. So I need to have a million dollars by the time I'm 30 in order to not have to work too much and, and have that more flexibility. So yeah, that was it. That awesome. Was okay. So basically, so can you just clarify then? So you were dancing around that a little bit, but can you just clarify what was your goal by the time you were 30? And let's get, let's get clear about that because you, you talked to me about that. I decided that I needed to live mortgage-free by 30 
Yep. And the houses around me at the time were a million dollars. So therefore I needed a million dollars by the time I was 30. So then I think as I kind of went on, I was like, all right, first million needs to be made by 30. Pretty bold. <laughs> that is a, that's a pretty sweet goal, right? And you, and you tick that off the list by the time you were 31, right? Yes. So that's awesome. How did that make you feel when you hit that goal? I'm probably still trying to work that out, to be absolutely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't, like, like I said, at 28, I sort of went, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Like, do I, do I speed things up? And I kind of had a freak out. And then I realized the goal wasn't actually make $1 million by 30. It was to have more freedom, more choice, mm-hmm. and live a life of abundance, right? So I think for me, I kind of had to realize at 28 that, Look at what you've look at what you've achieved so far. Like, look at the life you've had. Look at all the travel you've done. Like, pat on your back. And it was kind of this sigh of relief. And that was earlier on. Then when I got to, then when I actually did, I I, I restructured my whole portfolio and I paid off my mortgage. And I just went, oh no, <laughs> oh crap, almost. Like, what do I do now? Like, you know, I, I think it's this um this strange sense of overwhelming. And I, I, in some ways, I think I, I felt a bit lost and confused because I had had this driving me forward like a friend, like a striver, and and then and then you get there, and it's and it's amazing, but not to discredit or discount it, but it is a really strange sensation. I think you kind of you you look at the mountain, and I think the important thing is to actually look to what's next, not in necessarily a you know okay, I want more. It's more about what does this mean and, and 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 what is it that I really, really want out of life? And because it's not what's not about the million dollars. That's not it. Well, it's pretty interesting, right? Because I'm just thinking about the thinking this through. So not only did you have a million dollars, that was a million dollars that you could take out of your investment portfolio to pay for effectively a million dollar kind of house or whatever, right? So you'd actually probably got more than a million dollars in net worth, right? Have you ever seen now, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever stop to think like shit, I suddenly became a millionaire? No, <laughs> <Kinda>. <laughs> because it's a very strange thing, right? It's a very yeah, strange thing because a lot of people, and I've done, I, I can see that you're looking and feeling a little awkward about this. It's it's <laughs> really weird. No, it's no, it's weird because a lot of people have got these like money hangups and stuff like that. But effectively, really? you became a millionaire by the age of thirty-one by investing in property, which is crazy. Right? Yeah. and you might not only even, property. Yeah, and you might not even like feel comfortable with that with that nomenclature. But that is the no. fact, right? And totally. Most, most people never will become a millionaire. Not that, like, you know, money is just like a metric that you can use as a measuring stick, and it's not the thing that gives you a fulfilling and whole and 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 wonderful life. But that is pretty wild, right? Because a lot of people will Super never wild. get to that point, right? And so there's an identity shift that has to happen when that kind of stuff happens too, and it can be really, it can actually be quite confronting because then you're like, uncomfortable, what? yeah, Un- yeah, uncomfortable because huge, you know, I've had to go through that too at a certain point where I was like wait a hang on a second like who's this guy now like what does yeah. that what does that mean and who am I and what are my goals and what does what does this kind of person how does this person need to act so how does it how has it changed your perception of your own identity um do you know what it's funny actually I actually asked this question somewhat to you maybe a number of months ago and you said to me you just, you enjoy the moment and then you keep going. And I think, I think that's actually it. Um, and I think that's what I did. I, I think these moments in life can 
actually um, make or break you. You know, you can kind of get to it and then go, oh, cool, great, like what's next? And, you know, or it can actually really humble you and and sort of take you backwards. And um, I think for me, I just found this pure sense of peace and gratitude. And, and, and I think that's always something that we're working on. It's something that I work on constantly and probably a bit of an age thing too. I think, you know, you kind of reach that bit of maturity level. Um, I don't actually know if I've answered your question. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's all good. I, let's go back because one of the points you talked about earlier that I, I just haven't had a chance to dig into because I was so fascinated by that whole kind of like transformational moment that a lot of people aspire to, like how am I going to become a millionaire doing all this kind of stuff. Like, that kind of thing plays out in the psyche of, of people all around the world. You know, you, you see it all the time and all that kind of stuff. It was really, that's a really interesting part of your story. Um, obviously, it doesn't. it's not who you are. It is a thing that happens along the way. But it's very interesting to analyze that. But what I actually kind of want to go back to is you got started investing during the GFC. Now, right now, as we record this, consumer sentiment levels are almost at the same level as they were during the uh, GFC, right? Which is wild, right? Which mm. is completely wild from a from a like a psyche perspective. How did you how did you overcome that fear? Talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, how did you what made you go against the consensus and start investing when everybody else was freaking out and having a meltdown? And how much did that decision shape the outcome of your future? Like, and, and kind of relay it back to like how someone might be thinking today in the current environment with consumer sentiment levels. Yeah, it's such, such a great question. I look back, like that's the sliding doors moment. If I had given in to fear and listened to the media and the talk and, and, and actually some of the advice I was given at the time from my you know, friends and people in my circle, um, I, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today. I wouldn't be the person I am today. Um, yeah, lots of lots of different things. But the way that I got through that, because don't get me wrong, like the fear was there. The fear was huge. I remember going to make my first offer on my property and I was so scared. I um, I, I remember sitting down with my mom. I'd, I'd worked out what I was offering and everything. And I, you know, I, I said, okay, <laughs> you do it. And she was like, okay, like I can do it if you want me to, but I think, I think you should do it. And so I called the agent like trembling and I was like, okay, um, yeah, I want to make this. And it was a really good offer. Like it was it's on for 305 and I offered 302, like it was solid. And in hindsight, I made this agent's day. Like <laughs> she was a pretty lazy agent to be honest. And, you know, I just gave her an offer, basically what she wanted right there. Like she said, no problem. Just email me. And I was like, okay. No, no worries. Bye. <laughs> and then I emailed her and yeah, it all kind of fell through. But yeah, absolutely. The fear was huge. And like you said, it was post GFC. There was all this talk, but I think I had a strategic partner in that. I had my mom who had lived through all of the economic cycles before, you know, when she bought our house, interest rates were 17 and a half percent. She was still investing at that time. And, you know, she says to me often, She's made some of the most money in her portfolio in times of rising interest rates and times of inflation. So constantly having that reminder. That is really interesting. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting. I gotta get your mum on this show. I gotta get your mum on this show. She's been investing. Totally. Yeah, she's been investing when it was 17% because everyone's freaking out right now because we got everyone gets um, you know, everyone gets they suckle on the teat of of uh, of like opportunity when things are going well, and they go, "Ah, oh, yeah, it's great," and and like, interest rates are going down and all of that kind of stuff. And as soon as they start going back up, they start they start freaking out. But your mum was investing when it was seventeen percent and was making huge returns during that period of time. 
That's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. But to have somebody actually by my side, educating me on those things and giving me the real information, the real data, that's what made a difference to my investment career. If I hadn't had that, no, I I would have been here. Totally. It's so different when like, it's easy to have an opinion, but it's very different to have an experience, right? And so somebody who, and this is really interesting, right? Somebody who invested during the GFC, right? And somebody who was actually doing stuff at that time can actually talk from experience, i.e. you, can actually say, no, no, I did the thing during that time and this is what it was actually like versus someone who wasn't investing during that time saying, oh, hey, yeah, no, it was all good. It wasn't even that bad. I'm sorry, guys. Do you remember? Like everyone was freaking out. Everyone thought the whole financial system of the entire world was about to blow up and we were going to go to some, nobody even knew what the future looked like, right? And so Opinion versus experience are two radically different things. And your mom gave that to you and now you get to give that to other people. 100%. But plus, add to that, I was this 19-year-old girl who was like, yeah, I'm just buying this apartment. Everyone thought I was crazy just doing that alone, mm. let alone you know all the rest of it. But in, really interesting that you kind of say that because a few years later, so it would have been maybe four or five years later, I can't remember, I ended up selling that property. And I think I sold it for like 470000 So. Mm. Bought it at 302, sold it at 470, like $150,000, in in my pocket as an early 20-year-old. Like that to me was the life-changing, mind-blowing moment as an investor where I was like, oh my gosh, it works. Mm. Like, wow, this is real. Everything that I've studied, everything that I've been learning, all the education, when it actually kind of comes into play, you're like, wow, that's super cool. Yeah, totally. It's so funny when that happens, right? Because it's, it's all well and good to understand the theory. But you never know what it's like until you start playing the game, right? Because it's all you can watch it from the sidelines and you can understand it intellectually. But it's only once you start playing the game that you actually go, well, now, not everyone gets that experience because some people do it and do it wrong and then it ends up going bad. And they're like, well, hang on, this isn't like what I thought it was going to be like. This isn't like all the stories I've heard. This isn't like all the study that I've done. This isn't what it said in the book. Yeah, right? but, totally. but if you do it well, then yeah. it really is. I mean, we bought one property for. $300,000 and then three years later, it's worth $550,000 or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you sort of yeah. question, you go, is that just even legal? Like what is even totally. going on here? Totally. I remember learning that lesson about cycles from my mom and she was like, yeah, you buy at the bottom and then you sell at the top. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it can't be that easy. She's like, no, no, you buy at the bottom and then you ride the wave and you sell it. I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) But um, interestingly, I was like, well, if it's that easy, like, why isn't everyone doing it? And she sort of was, she said to me, she's like, at this point when it's at the bottom, that's when everybody's afraid. That's when there's usually lots of fear and, you know, uncertainty and people don't like that. And Mm. so people run for the hills. And she's like, it's not until it actually gets to the top where you've got those last couple of years where the market's going crazy and all this excitement. That's when everybody's like, yeah, great, let's jump in now. But by then it's a little bit too late. And then you kind of run the risk of toppling over the edge and sitting flat. And it was, it was just one of these life-changing moments for me that has stuck with me forever. And now I've seen it play out and I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting, actually. Like I was reading something a while ago, and don't quote me on these stats. But it, was, it was a while ago, but it was, uh, it was something like, I think it was like the majority, but let's just broadly say like 50%, right? Let's say fifty percent of it of of people buy in the second half of a market cycle, right? And so I think it's actually more than fifty. It might be like seventy percent or whatever buy in the second half. And it's like it's like I think thirty to fifty percent buy in like the last quarter when it's actually in the winner's curse phase when it actually yeah. starts to it's actually gone beyond what the actual value 
is and it's going to come off that point. And so what yeah. actually happens is like roughly half of investors don't make any money. They have a bad experience. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. I was talking to so many the people. Trends? Yeah, 100%. There's loads of stories about all of that, particularly over the last like 20 years where people have gone, oh, my God, it's, I'm going to invest in the latest hotspot when it's actually already been booming for three, four, five years and then they buy yeah. and the only thing they get is, is negative returns. So so awesome. So what would you say to someone who's, who's thinking about investing now? Like as someone who did that, someone who went against the consensus thinking, what would you say to someone right now in today's environment where they're going, interest rates are going up, uh, I'm scared. I'm not sure what the future holds. There's inflation. I haven't experienced this environment before. Uh, I'm, I, I feel uncertain. What would you say to someone who's who's in, who's thinking about that right now? I guess the quick one line would be: This is where the opportunity lies, and this is the difference between success or not. And like, if you, if I was to go back and talk to myself at 19, who was terrified, um, you know, especially seeing as I had saved every dollar since I was so young, like I was used to having a pretty good buffer, a pretty good cushion. And then I had nothing like I was mm. terrified. But what I would say to that terrified 19 year old girl now is just trust, have faith and buy more. Like, you know, if I, if I could have, I would have bought um, more at the time. Like, you know, that property that I got did well. It was like you said, it was 2009, just after the GFC, very similar situation to what we're seeing now. Um, yeah, this is the opportunity. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, okay, so you effectively hit your financial goal, which again is, you know, to, to, to your point, doesn't like set you up to be able to just go sail the world for the rest of your life and drink, <laughs> you know, champagne from sun up to sundown and never have to think about working ever again. But it did put, get you in a really good position. Well, you've now got the base. You're living where you want. Beautiful. Anyone watching the video can see all the, the nice greenery in the background. You're living on the Sunshine Coast. How wonderful, right? But ostensibly, it did give you that opportunity to to give you that more more choice, right? So you could then go, okay, what do I? How do I want to spend my time? And w- what yeah. really drives me forward? What brought you to Dash Time? Why is this? Why is this something you want to do? Yeah, great question. Um, so I actually, like, I think it's pretty fair to say love property. Could talk about this all day. Do talk about this all day. I love what I do and being able to help people achieve the same thing as I do. But I actually left this industry a few years ago. Um, I sort of struggled to find a bit of moral alignment in this space. This industry's changed a lot in the last five years. And um, yeah, I, I walked away and, and, and because I was in the position that I was in, I had the capacity to walk away. I took a 50% pay cut and I went, I'm going to go and explore other options because this isn't servicing my needs because I feel like my role isn't servicing the people that I'm working with. Mm. And that, that, that didn't, that wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough just to stay in a job because it was a job. So I left. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, I went into financial services and I thought, I know a lot about property and I know a lot about property investing. I want to know a lot about shares and investing in that space. Pretty, um, yeah, that's a different industry in itself. And, you know, there's been a Royal Commission for a reason and things like that. So I'll, I'll be a little bit conservative about that. But um, put it this way, later on, I did an MBA and I ended up doing a lot of assignments on the financial planning industry and mm. things like that. But um, but yeah, anyway, so wasn't overly impressed by sort of what I found there. And then um, took a year off, did some study. I wasn't planning on coming back to this space at all because, I, you know, in many ways I'd sort of written it off, to be honest. Um, and then I stumbled across Dashdot and there were two things that stood out to me and two reasons that brought me here. Um, one is that I found that moral alignment. I found 
good people just trying to do the right thing, which was just so refreshing. Um, but the data and tech and the commitment that we have made to data and technology um, and developing this space and, and this industry, you know, we pour so much into that energy, time and money. Um, and it is for a great reason. Um, but it, I wouldn't have made the mistakes in my investment career if I had had access to what we have access to. Um, so it, may, it, it mitigates the risk for, for clients. So not only is it offering the best um, actual financial opportunities and results, um, but there's just really good people behind it. And, and that to me is, is home. Like, you know, you're going to have to kick me out. <laughs> I'm, nice. I'm not going anywhere. Nice. I love that. So one thing that um, is inherently true that I've noticed um, throughout Bashdot, whether it be clients or team, is that once people get on the inside, then they go, oh my God, this is so much better on the inside than what it was on the outside, right? Clients say that all the time, teams say that all the time. So true. Which is awesome. What is one um, what is one thing that you can share from the inside that people might not know on the outside? And it could be something that you've seen with a client. It could be something that you have experienced yourself. Like what, what is like, what's something that you, if you could just like take a nugget and be like, actually, here's something that you might not know, something from the inside, I put it on the outside. What would that be? Um, it's a really good question. It's sort of, it's hard to sort of sum up, but the way that I would look at it is it's actually, it's almost like achieving my property and financial goals all over again. You know, there and you're kind of like, whoa, like, could this be real? Like, did this just happen? Am I here? Um, and that's sort of what it feels like on the inside. You're sort of like, you know, pinch me. When am I going to wake up? You know, I, I never thought I would find um, an environment. Like we, you know, we, we, we have a digital um, operation here at Dashout. I have actually not physically met um, the people that I work with, yet I have far better culture and experience and relationships with all of the team here at Dashot than I have when I've spent years in offices, in small offices with people. Um, the people here are so, <laughs> well, I remember when I was actually in recruitment and um, one of the ladies in HR said to me, um, I'm sort of like the gatekeeper between the rest of the world and the inside of Dashot. And it's funny because that's kind of how I feel about what I do. I'm sort of the gatekeeper about speaking to, um, you know, everyone Everyone new that's wanting to work with Dashot and sort of what's on the inside. And, um, yeah, it's it's just, it's it's almost like, um, you know, like what are those sort of those Disney movies that you go into and like they they unveil like the beautiful rainforest on the inside and you're just in, in awe. Yeah. I'm waiting to wake up. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, what are your goals now? Because like you kind of hit your big one and you're like, okay, cool. I've hit that big goal. What are your, what are your goals now? Talk to me about that. Um, I think it's probably more like individual. It's and in, in like internal. It's about being the best that I can be for other people. Mm. Um, and that's, I mean, it comes back to really why I'm here at Dashdot. Like I get the opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah, being the best. Um, I can be in my family, being the best I can be with the team, with my clients, um, with, yeah, just just all of all of that. Like, um, you know, like I said, I think getting to your goals or maybe it's actually more getting to a certain age, you sort of just go, 
oh yeah cool <laughs> you know this is it so um yeah i just i mean look i have different financial goals now my investment strategy looks completely different um we you know we're heading into a different stage of our life and i'm probably a bit more you know conservative and and things like that with investing but yeah do you want me to elaborate i can go into more detail what, do you want to go into more detail i mean that sounds like a thread we could pull on what do you mean <laughs> all right so all right, we'll break it down. So I guess financially and strategically in my property world, um, my, my as an investor, I'm about low maintenance physically, financially, and mentally. So mm. I want a portfolio that's covering itself, that I don't have to dip into, that's not going to give me too much concern. So that's easy. Like Dashdot takes care of that. That's, that's fine, easy as. Um, professionally, like I just, I love being here in this space and helping people every single day. And the day you take that opportunity away from me is the day I'm going to start kicking and screaming. <laughs> like, yeah, I, um, yeah, to be able to help people achieve what I have achieved, like it, it's, for me, life is now more about service, right. And, and gratitude. So. Love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Okay, cool. So you've heard these questions before because you've listened to the podcast before. But I am going to ask you the question that I like to close out with, um, with, the, with, particularly with our team members, right? So imagine it is your last day on earth. Many, many years from now, you've you've achieved everything you've ever wanted. You've, you've totally crushed it. You've achieved all of your future goals. You've lived the life of your dreams. But for whatever reason, on the day that you pass, everything that you've ever created, everything you've ever owned is going to be wiped from the face of the earth. There will be no record that you ever existed. Boom, gone. Except for your kids, they'll stay around, of course. That's not the right. But you get to leave behind three simple truths that will live on forever in the world after you're gone. What are the three truths or three lessons that you would like to leave with the world? Um, great questions. Don't think that I'm lame. <laughs> world peace. No. <laughs> it is a little bit like that, though, right? I, I think. Be kind to each other. I think that is one thing the world is increasingly lacking is um, kindness and gratitude. So, yeah, I, if I could give advice to anyone on this planet, it would be um, take a step back, um, be a bit more kind, have some gratitude in your whole world. Um, doesn't really matter where you are. There's, there's generally something that you can be grateful for. Um, and have fun because it is about having fun. One of the operating principles we have here at Dashboard is don't take life too seriously. And um, that is something that I am so not naturally great at. <laughs> you know, I started talking about property when I was 10. <laughs> I was a pretty serious child. So, yeah, don't take life too seriously. Enjoy the ride. Nice. That's two. Be kind. Be kind. Okay. Is that three? Be kind and grateful. So be kind and be kind and grateful. Um, yeah. And be kind, be grateful, and enjoy the ride. And don't take life too seriously. I love that. Awesome, Ali. It has been really great to chat to you and to kind of dig into this. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you, or anything else that you would like to say before we wrap it up? Don't think so. Don't be afraid. Have fun. Good luck. That's it. <laughs> Have awesome. a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, thanks for so much so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. And it's such a great story that I think has got a lot of lessons for lots of other investors, particularly uh, in this time right now. So it's really great to, to be able to share that. So thank you very much. And I'll see you soon. Awesome. I hope it helps somebody. Cheers. Bye.